You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. This has been like the weirdest week in the history of ever. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. I don't think that anything has felt quite like it's supposed to feel. Yeah, it doesn't seem like we should be recording with the way like way things have been going. Because usually you're here when we record. Uh, and then had, I go home. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you had some other stuff to do, so you weren't here this morning. So we started late. Um, I wasn't here last night for us to kind of decompress. Yeah. Yeah, normally we, yeah, we kind of have like a, a, a kind of pregame meeting the night before, try to figure out, discuss some of the stuff we're going to talk about a little bit, not in depth. We don't script it, but I mean, obviously you've heard our show, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, it's just kind of weird to, I feel like we're just like jumping into it. I'm like, what's, what's even going on? So yeah, this is like my third trip to Norman this week. Yeah. So yeah. I've been up twice before that we didn't record. Mm-hmm. So every, everything's just off but we shall persevere yeah no i, I yeah we, well, we have plenty of stuff to cover so oh a ton so and i'm actually this is probably what we're getting ready to go into it's one of my favorite things because i was i had breakfast this morning with a friend of mine who has her mdiv demon she she's got all the academic degrees out there for uh all this sort of thing she's been a pastor for for years and she had never heard what we're getting ready to discuss. And so I like these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that, well, that's what we do here. We do the obscure stuff that no one really talks about. Exactly. So we're picking up in Genesis 47, verse 7. Uh, actually, sorry. We're, we're, we just finished with that last week. That was where Pharaoh and Jacob met. And we had to see it's so obscure. You don't even know where we're at. I don't. I, I lost it. Um, but we're going to skip down to verse 13. In what chapter? In chapter 47. Gotcha. Yeah. I had it right, open to the right spot. I just, my eyes got, jumped. So, uh, verse 13. And I, I just want to read this because I think if I just say it, I think a lot of people aren't going to believe me that it's in the Bible. So we're just going to read through it as a few verses and then we can go back and discuss it. Okay. So. It says, now there was no bread in all the world, for the famine was very severe. Both in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered in all the money that was to be found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan as payment for the rations that were being procured. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's palace. And when the money gave out in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread lest we die before your very eyes for the money is gone. And Joseph said, bring your livestock and I will sell to you against your livestock. And if the money, if the money is gone, I will, um, again, eyes jumping. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, for the stocks of sheep and cattle and asses, and thus provided for them with bread that year in exchange for all their livestock. And when the year would, you know, year in exchange, oh, sorry. And when that year was ended, they came to him and the next year said to him, we cannot hide from my Lord, that with all the money and animals, animal stocks consigned to my Lord, nothing is left at my Lord's disposal save our persons and our farmland. Let us not perish before your eyes 
uh, both we and our land take us and our land in exchange for bread and we will with our land will be serfs for pharaoh provide the seed that we may not may live and not die and that the land may not become waste and so joseph gained possession of all the farmland of the of egypt for pharaoh every egyptian having sold his field because the famine was too much for them and thus the land was passed over to pharaoh and he removed the population town by town from one end of egypt's border to the other only the land of the priest he did not take over, for the priest had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh had made for them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Whereas I have acquired you and your land for Pharaoh, here is the seed for you to sow in your land. So then it goes on into how they'll make payments back to mm-hmm. Pharaoh. So this, like I said, very obscure, even though you can tell it takes a pretty good chunk of text. Yeah. It's it's not just one little line. Uh, this is a full-on system. And this really is about Joseph implementing that system that he's going to use to save Egypt from, from starving. And this, when I started researching this, okay, so you could see the bias of every commentator as I started going through this. Yeah. Because... Well, let me just read um, what this says. And this is the JPS commentary that I've been using the whole series. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is there has this section has no connection with the story of the Israelites. The connections of the narrative of chapter 41 describing the measures taken by Joseph in preparation for the famine. It has been included to provide examples of Joseph's wisdom and leadership. But it has no connection with Exodus is what they're really saying. That's interesting. It's very At best. <laughs> exactly. And so you have th- this has divided the world of academia like few other passages in the Bible, because you have one school that's saying that what Joseph is doing has absolutely no bearing on the rest of Scripture. And those who are saying is absolutely the setup that provides the backdrop and the justification for the events in Exodus to happen, to happen. Hmm. So I want to go through the scripture and go through it verse by verse. And let's really talk about what's going on here. And in case anyone missed it, we'll probably ought to spell out. Joseph is basically enslaving all of Egypt. Yeah. It, yeah. That's actually what it says right here in the commentary on the, this JPS commentary. So that's interesting. Oh, and that's the thing. You can find uh, everything from Joseph as being a great and wonderful leader, showing wisdom and integrity and making sure that, you know, that one little phrase that he brought all of it to Pharaoh's palace, that the Torah includes that. So you can see this, he's operating with integrity. And then one article I read, uh, I forgot to get the name of the person who wrote it, but Joseph's unjust enslavement and economic system of Egypt. Well, I, I do think it's interesting that, well, and I don't know, we, I don't know we really covered that, but you talk about the repayment later, you know, Joseph says, uh, you're going to give us 20% of everything, mm-hmm. which, and, is, which is twice what the Torah demands. Exactly. Uh, and so, you know, you talk about the unjust enslavement, that's saying, you know, that that's an exorbitant amount to tax somebody. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And that, that comes into playing, uh, is Joseph actually... Um, being helpful here or what is he doing that may be wrong so 
let's let's back up a little bit because I, I think first off we have to ex- realize, remember let's remember how Joseph came to power right and that was when the baker went to or sorry the cupbearer went to Pharaoh and said hey I've got this guy who can interpret dreams mm-hmm. well and even even say even before that he was he was he was enslaved mm-hmm. by his brothers because of his dreams right and then he was put in charge of the prison and he was able to free other people because of dreams. And then, <laughs> then he was able to free himself because of dreams. So Yeah. And so he, he has come to power because of dreams and he's interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And he's coming up with a solution for the dreams. He's mm-hmm. enacting it. Um, now the question is, is this a positive enactment or a negative enactment? I mean, is he, is he right in, in what he's doing? Now, going back to Joseph's dreams, if you remember, Joseph's dreams also began with grain. And so the sheaves of grain were going to bow down right. to him. So I think sometimes we forget that all of this really does begin with food. food. <laughs> and that and provision. Yeah. And, and so Pharaoh and Joseph essentially have the same dream. And the the way you get to that, remember, Pharaoh re- rejected all the other interpretations of the dream. Mm-hmm. He he didn't like what anybody else had to say about it. But Joseph comes along. What what makes Joseph's interpretation so appealing? I, he, I'm not sure. Do but, you have an answer? I do actually, and I think it's great. Um, it, the the idea. Remember the the seven. Lean cows swallow up the seven fat cows. Right. The seven withered grains swallow up the, the seven healthy fat, ones. Yeah. yeah. So Joseph's interpretation is that during these lean years, I'm going to give you mastery over the years of plenty. Right. And so it's not, I'm going to save your people. I'm going to give you Pharaoh control. Mm-hmm. through this time of famine and hardship. And this is exactly what he enacts. Oh, okay. So you're saying, okay, I got you now. So you're saying that I'm going, I'm going to show you how to maneuver this famine into political gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yes. And, and this is exactly what he's doing. And Pharaoh knows this is what he's doing. Remember the last week when we talked about Pharaoh says, hey, if you know anybody who, who knows how to work with cattle. Yeah. Well, and yeah, okay, so that makes sense because, yeah, because I've always just heard it say, heard it taught that what that means, because I've heard it been told mm-hmm. that what it means is the seven years of famine are going to deplete all the supplies that you gather up during the seven healthy years. Uh-huh. But it's not just that. It's, it goes, goes beyond that. It goes into that political maneuvering and, and being able to say, hey, I'm going to show you how to turn a bad market into a good profit. It, yeah, and, and not just a good profit, how for you to to so take over and have so much authority and submit your position in this land hmm. as the, the ultimate dictator. Now, because here's the thing, I even as a child, I remember reading the descriptions of the dreams um, without anyone you know, kind of leading me through it and going, of course, that's what it means. I mean, how can you miss that? Um, the Egyptians had great dream interpretation uh, interpreters 
They had books and uh, I actually, in some of the show notes, I include some links to one of the Egyptian dream books. They could have come up with the most simplistic interpretation, which I think is what we read it as, mm-hmm. because it, it, it seems to lend itself. So you have to ask, what is it about Joseph's interpretation that takes it beyond? There so, was So may, maybe it wasn't just Joseph's interpretation, maybe it was also his plan. Well, yeah, well, it, it appeals to Pharaoh's ego, mm-hmm. and, and, but it also, it is the same dream that Joseph had. Yeah. And so it is about grain being what controls and providing authority. And maybe this is why he had the additional insight, because he already had grain as a symbol of authority in his head. Sure. And when I started um, reading some of the commentators that said that, and when I was looking at some of the, the Talmudic things that, that were leading to that, I was like, why? <laughs> you know, again, that question I keep coming, why are we not teaching this? Why are we not seeing this? And so what Joseph does... Um, well, and I think, I think it's because it's better, it's easier to look at it, not just as political maneuvering. It's easier to look at it as, oh, God sent Joseph so that God could provide. Right. It's, it's really simple to say that, mm-hmm. you know, God taught Joseph to take all the, the stuff from the seven plentiful years because they're going to be swallowed up in the lean years. And so that's just God's provision. It's the whitewashing we do of Bible characters. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It's trying to make them all look good. And this is not, this is not a good situation. And we've already established this because notice in um, verse uh, 15, when they say, and the mon- when the money gave out in all the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread lest we die. Who are we? Who are we thinking of right here? If you don't feed me now, I'm going to die. We're it's ba- Jacob and Esau. Esau. Yeah, yeah, and we know that Esau he screwed up. He did the wrong thing. He gave away his birthright for a bowl of beans. We all condemn him for this. Every tradition says that he was an idiot for doing it. But then, how can we praise Jacob? Uh, praise Joseph, and, and think that Jacob was okay in doing this. I mean, we can't. Did I say that right? Did I put it in the right order? I'm not sure. But we can't elevate Jacob's act of deception as being horrible and say that Joseph is right in doing this, is what I'm trying to say. You know, they're both at the same level. Right. There's not, um, it's not okay that Joseph does this just because he was asked to. And whenever you find any defense of what's going on, whenever it's written in any of the commentaries, um, the 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 defense always is well they volunteered they asked right. for it but then they'll turn right around a few chapters earlier and say well you know Esau was evil and wrong and this is why he was such a bad guy because he was willing to do this sure so how can you condemn Esau and then act like it's okay for the Egyptians to do this and you know it, it's the it's that political ideology that we do with even today, you know, you turn on the TV and if your party is doing it, it's great. And if yeah. your opposing yeah. party's doing it, then it's horrible. It doesn't work that way in the Torah. Right. And so it's, I love the fact that we're, we're having to confront our presuppositions about what people should be and who, how they should act. And we're having to reevaluate the Jacob and Esau story with what Joseph is doing here. Right. And because what this is going to wind up being is 
everyone in Egypt is, they literally belong to Pharaoh right now. Um, They, you know, saves the world, Mm -hmm. but they literally belong to him. And, And here's the question, why? When Joseph interprets the dream, you you get the idea that he's doing it to save the people of Egypt, right? That, but but then again, he waits until they come and beg, mm-hmm. and waits until that they're ready to sell themselves into slavery before he gives anything out. Now, of course, I I don't know how how far you, you know, I can I can <laughs> I can almost see someone building some kind of case about salvation, and that God waits till we're willing to beg and and <laughs> and be part of you know his kingdom. And I don't know. I, no, but I don't know if that. <laughs> okay. Well, Terrence Rathame, who wrote the book, the Pentateuch. Uh, it's interesting because I wrote this note and then I actually ran across his book in a used bookstore and I left it at the used bookstore because of this note. Okay. Uh, says, he actually says, Joseph functions as the new Adam for the world to benefit from his. <laughs> a- yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. For the world to benefit from his dominion. Uh, Joseph enslaves an entire nation and it's okay. Right. And he doesn't just enslave an entire nation. He enslaves this entire nation, not to himself, but to embodied Ra or Horus. He enslaves them to a foreign God. Well, and I mean, really, if you want, and if you want to take, I mean, he almost had it though, because it is kind of the same. Well, what did Adam do? He enslaved all of humanity. To foreign right. gods, in a way, you know, if we want to really take it, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that's how he meant it, but yeah, I he, see. <laughs> he's kind of, he kind of almost got it, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know, and th- this is a problem because when he, as you pointed out, that twenty percent, it, it's it's above and beyond what we're supposed to offer as a tithe. Mm-hmm. And so Joseph not only enslaves people, now he institutes the system that allows this God, Pharaoh, to receive his offerings and and sacrifices from the people. Right. And and so Joseph demands more of the population on behalf of this foreign God than even Moses is going to demand of the Israelites Mm -hmm. for their own God. And this is kind of neglected in the text because suddenly golden boy Joseph is not so golden. Right. And so um, he is, the, the only way you can legitimize the system is to say that because Joseph designed it, it's a great system. Right. The thing is, even if someone great designs a system, it doesn't take much of a bad guy to exploit things sometimes. And we, you sure. know, we guns, you know, somebody designed a gun in, I'm going to assume originally for hunting purposes, you know, that's what they back in way back when used for. And we know people who exploit them for bad things and, yeah. you know, not to get political, but the, the, the idea that anything can be exploited. Well, and people use the Bible to start cults. I mean, there you that's, go. That's actually, you know, I've, there was um, someone I was talking to uh, was talking about how he likes to uh, distill whiskey uh-huh. and that he used to do it in high school. And he's always thought it would be interesting to to start his own brew, uh, distillery, which he hasn't. He's just kicked around the idea. 
and he was like, but I have kind of have this, this thought in my head that what if someone you know, using my product uh, gets drunk and kills a family? And I'm like, you know, I get that. I, I do. But at the same time, you, you have to understand that, you know, people are going to find a way to abuse. Someone's going to find a way to abuse everything. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and I think we're naive if we think that doesn't happen. And but in trying to justify Joseph's um, actions here, a lot of people say, oh, well, he didn't really buy the people. He, he bought the land and then the people work the land on behalf of Pharaoh. But that's not what the text says, is it? No, it doesn't. It, it says, matter of fact, verse 21. Uh, well, let's get back to verse 19. The people say we will be serfs to, to Pharaoh is what the JPS says. The ESV, I think, has uh, servants. The Hebrews of Ed. So that's definitely servant. Mm -hmm. And so he says he bought them for servants. Yeah, it says servants in the ESV. So, yeah. So, uh, but then in verse 21, if you want to really downplay that idea, just read verse 21. And he removed the population town by town from one end of Egypt's borders to another. So not only did he, he buy the land, he takes them. He takes them away from their home. Right. And treats them like, uh, like conquered uh, uh, workers, you know, like a, like a conquered people. Which is, yeah, totally in keeping with ancient methodology. When you conquered someone, if you didn't kill them all, you mm -hmm. put them into exile. And we see this with the Babylonian exile. We, we see that with, in Israel that, you know, the idea that you take them out of the land that they're familiar with, the land where they have resources and connection, mm -hmm. and you put them into a strange setting. And what happens is the people don't form alliances easily. Right. Especially in times of, of hardship. And we, we see that definitely with... Um, uh, with well, who? That's a good question. In the Babylonian conquest, where, or even with, under Cyrus and the Persians with, with Esther, uh, you know, with Mordecai and Haman, and mm -hmm. the way that the, we're going to kill the Jews one day, and no, we can't kill the Jews, now the Jews can kill everybody else. I, it, they can fight back. And so you see how that, that mixing of cultures yeah. and playing on our, our own basic race, racism that happens with human beings helps keep that going and you know not just racism but just you know which which zip code you're from which area code you're from that plays in sure so um the uh i also think it's interesting he doesn't take the land away from the priest mm -hmm. the the priest keep their possession and that that's going to come in here in just a second because what i wanted to talk about specifically is if you continue reading on into the Torah, but one of the things, the primary um, teachings about land is that you don't have the right to sell it. Right. An individual cannot sell the right to any land in perpetuity. Uh, land ownership was, um, was the means to financial independence. And so it always had to be returned back to specific people and to the families at the end of certain times. Land ownership was a blessing from God because... Yeah. Well, and, and Brad, uh, Dr. Brad Young covers that in Jesus the Jewish Theologian when he talks about, if anybody wants a, a, just a real basic treatment of this, um, it's right there and above you. And uh. <laughs> yeah, we have it right here. Um, but 
he talks about that in the story when he talks about the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. Where the idea of that, you know, land, land again, not sold in perpetuity. It was, it was returned on the Jubilee years, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and so they talked about also how when the son sold, I mean, they're very specific laws, you know, because Jesus talks about the son selling it and taking the profits. Mm-hmm. And basically he wasn't even selling the lands. What he was selling, he was selling the rights to work the land. Pretty much. Is basically what it is. And then it, then also the people who had the rights to work land, they, they could put their children there for a time. But when it came back to the Jubilee years, it had to go back to that family. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's very, uh, very different than, than what you see. But whenever you see this, and I don't know if this is where you're talking about, but it, does it tie into the nation of priests type thing with, with Israel? Because Joseph doesn't take the land from, from the priest. And so I don't know if that has any kind of tie-in. Well, not not necessarily. Um, well, kind of, sort of. What basically what's going on in Israel? The the two classes that did not own land were the kings and the priest. Okay. They they so had now we have an inversion. Total inversion. Okay. Because I got you now. they could have like a, a, a dwelling place. They could have a, a land enough for a home for some place for their family to live. Mm-hmm. But as far as like working for a farm working for any kind of, of profit that was denied to them. And the, the, the land was created by God for the people to, in order that they might be blessed. So a king and prophet's duty was to encourage the people in obedience to worship Yahweh, to walk in the ways that he directed them. And so in their obedience, they retained the rights to the land that God had created and given to them. And the king and the priest were to encourage this obedience and facilitate this obedience. Now, with Egypt, we've got the exact opposite, that the king and the priest own the land, and now they have to coerce the people into working the land in order to maintain their own status. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. (laughs) I I can see that. It's, and, you know, if you want some, um, some kind of... uh, Man, my brain just, to confirm that, (laughs) Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults the maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Um, So the, the, um, that was not the verse I thought I was going to read. Well, it actually kind of, I mean, it kind of fits with what we're talking about because Joseph, you know, it just, it goes again to show how much of an Egyptian Joseph has become. He's lost sight of everything. He's completely lost sight of what he's doing. And he, of course, you know, yeah, the Torah's not been written yet, but then how much does he know? We've had this discussion on previous episodes. But if you look at the seventh plague of Egypt, and which is the hailstorm, uh-huh. um, God specifically says, so you know that the earth belongs to the Lord. Right. Is why he cho- chooses this specific plague. And so He's saying, basically, the earth and its dominion, it belongs only to God, not to Pharaoh, who, despite the fact he thinks he owns this earth, that he has a legal claim to this land, Mm -hmm. I made it, it's still mine. And really, not Egypt, Israel was the only land that, and when I say land, the only nationality that understood this concept. They were the only ones who completely got it. And now... What Joseph did here was not um, unprecedented. 
Right. We we know that this has happened before, and this is one of those times when having the archaeological data actually helps mm-hmm. because uh, we can look back and see what's happening because we have the whole story. And once we have the whole story, then in verse 23, Joseph said to the people, whereas at this day I have acquired you and your and your you and your land for Pharaoh. Here's the seed for you to sow the land. And then anyway, he goes on. But Joseph, I have acquired you and your land. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have uh, four different texts, four different documents. Uh, they're from um, Babylon. They're from Assyria. Uh, they're uh, known as some of them are known as the Amar text from Syria. Mm-hmm. And in these four different documents, we have people who are sold into slavery during a time of famine. Three specifically include the clause that the slave is being sold in order to keep them alive. Hmm. So you you have to be willing to provide some kind of care for this person. So not uncommon. Right. It happens. But there is a major difference. In Joseph's pronouncement, it never says um, that there was any kind of redemption. For the Egyptians. Hmm. There, there's no way for them to get free of it. Within the Mesopotamian documents, there's always the provision for the slave to be redeemed. Interesting. And the fact that Joseph does not include that, it is, it, it's hard to say that he, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Because he, he'd been serving in Pharaoh's courts. Right. He knew what, what legal documentation looked like at this point. He has, he has no reason to, to be able to claim ignorance. And so he has, um, he's used the best of the traditions to actually do one of the worst of the deeds. Right. And he says, in verse 25, he says, you have saved, the children, the people of Egypt says, you have saved our lives. And the Akkadian, uh, technical term there that it matches up the language is very similar the Akkadian there says you have given us food to stay alive and this is part hmm. and that would be what they would respond uh when the declaration of being bought as a slave that they would respond with this okay you've made your promise to me and i'm acknowledging that you've given me this food right right and and that's you know that's actually something that you, and you kind of see that again i'm not sure if, if you are you kind of basically covered this we're talking about like bringing someone in to, to save their life. You kind of see that in the idea of the debtors, uh, like the slavery in the, that's laid out in the Torah, mm-hmm. um, where if someone incurs so much debt, they can just sell themselves into slavery to the person they owe the debt to until it's worked off. Right. And that, that's, you know, considered to be better than just dying because you don't want to be a slave. And, and that, that and, is the theme. And, and, and yeah, and now, now that's very much a, a specific legal system with specific rules. It's not just like, hey, I can go capture someone and brand them and say, hey, now they're a slave. You know, there's, and, and you were also required to release them in, on the Jubilee years. You were required to forgive the debts. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's tons, tons of provisions to, that are there for the protection of people, not for just the exploitation of, of cheap right. labor. Well, and, and to have that system of redemption in place and having it, that being part of the culture and so that when it comes time for redemption, when we're talking about the New Testament context, this is so much a part of their society. It's not a foreign concept that the idea that you can be redeemed from 
even a situation that you got into due to your own mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that, and Esau, what happens with him? Does he, is he redeemed from his mistake? We, we, I don't think that's played out in the, in the scripture. No. Yeah. It's, it's, if it, if it does, it happens off screen. Right. Off, <laughs> off page, I guess. Well, and, and the Egyptians, you know, what, what happens to them? Are they ever redeemed? We don't have that in scripture. And you know, I, I, there's arguments against, but they're, that's a whole theological system, that a whole theological quandary that we haven't really got time to go into, other than to say it's not encoded in the scripture that they are redeemed. Right. And so the fact that within the nation of Israel itself, as it begins to grow, redemption starts becoming woven into the fabric of their society so that we don't have the situation mm-hmm. and this abuse that, that Joseph commits against the people of Egypt when he, he implemented it under the idea of, Hey, I'm going to provide you security. I'm going to make sure that you're going to be fed. And mm-hmm. then he systematically just ushers them to this place of total destitution to where they're begging mm-hmm. that he would actually take them in as, as Pharaoh's slave. Now, you would think Joseph Joseph would know better. He knows what it's like to be a slave. Right. And so instead of using his, his own experience to give him some kind of compassion and insight that, hey, this isn't a good thing. Right. He still goes ahead and enacts it. Yeah. And it is so binding. Now, we've, we've talked in the past that um, Genesis... I, I believe it was written by Moses. Mm-hmm. Don't have a problem with that. But we do know that there was editors at work who at some point, possibly as late as the 8th century, 6th and 8th century, went back and, and clarified some things within the, within the text. Right, and you're talking uh, BCE, not, right. not AD. Right, this is you know, still before Jesus' time. And um, verse 26, and I think this is where we see... That you forgot to turn your ringer off? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) This is where we see, uh, I think, a hand of an editor. And it says that... um, I can't turn the mute button on. It says that it's a law in the land of Egypt, which is still valid, uh, is how the JPS has it. I don't know how the Uh, What letter? I'm sorry, what number? 26. 26. Mm Mm-hmm. And Joseph made it into the law of the land of Egypt. And so Joseph made the statute concerning the land of Egypt and it stands to this day. Yeah. Okay. So still valid stands to this day. And that a fifth of the land, a fifth should be Pharaoh's and only the land of the priest uh, did not become Pharaoh's. Um, so two things which are really interesting here that are not specifically in the text at this point, but we know it's, we know it's true. The people who gave up the cattle. Mm-hmm. Were the Egyptians. Right. If we go over to Exodus, when they want to go sacrifice to God, Moses says, we're going to make a three-day journey out to sacrifice. Sure. What do they want to take with them? Their herds and flocks. Right. And so they still have cattle. Right. Which is really weird that the slaves would own cattle. Especially after the Egyptian people have already sold off all their own. They've sold off all, yeah. They don't own it. Pharaoh owns all of it, but the, the Israelites still have cattle. The hmm. second thing is the land that the Israelites are living on 
was never part of this deal either. Right. Joseph is still taking care of the family. There's no record that they ever paid for food. Even whenever the brothers originally came down to get grain from Egypt, not knowing that Joseph was there, he always put the money back in the bags. Mm -hmm. And so there is this, this unjust balance going on that Joseph's family is being favored and given special treatment because they are Joseph's family. Well, everybody in Egypt is undergoing this terrible oppression that's the result of a famine, but enacted by Joseph on behalf of Pharaoh. Right. And you can kind of see how this would lead to resentment. Mm-hmm. And it would continue just like, uh, you know, he, Joseph's already moved everyone around the cities and different places where they aren't from. And so Egypt is not unified. And the only really people group left as solidified a unified entity would be the children of Israel. Yeah. And so they would be very easy to point at this is our problem. Mm-hmm. This this is what's going on. And really 400 years isn't that long to hold that kind of um national grudge. Well, and and, and if you look at it that way that it is that they're unaffected by by the recession quote unquote, mm-hmm. by the famine. I mean, that kind of is an interesting parallel. You go into the like, and not to get too much into <laughs> political theory, but dad was a history major. And he told me this one time that part of the reason that um, the, the political climate was, was so, uh, or was so anti-Semitic during the, um, during the time of World War I and World War II, or especially after World War I, but between them, um, was, you know, Europe for a long time was under control of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. And so for religious reasons, a lot of people were not allowed to um, to borrow and borrow, lend, borrow and lend uh, with interest. Mm-hmm. Well, the Jews Usury. didn't. Yeah. Well, the Jews didn't have a, a practice against that. And so what happened is the, the Jews owned a lot of the banks. And this is this is just this is just how it goes. And gross generalization, but this yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, this is a gross generalization. I'm not trying to, to sound mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say anything racist here, um, but it just, it was a religious thing that they didn't feel like it was against their, you know, their religion. And so the financial institutions had more money and a lot of them were owned by Jewish families. Mm-hmm. And so the, when you get to looking around and you go, well, who's well off and who's not? Well, it was the Jews. And so they, they, because they were, they were taking care of themselves and they weren't just wasting money. And taking care of their communities. And taking care of their communities. But, but what happened is, is you had, like, Hitler was able to turn people against them by saying, well, they're not doing their part. Yeah. And they're not doing their share to help uh, Germany at large. Mm-hmm. And so that's where a lot of that came from. And so I, I think that's kind of an interesting parallel if you look at it, if that was what happened there, that in the land of Goshen, everything looks good. Well, that's because they're not sharing. Right. And they need to give everyone else their fair share. So yeah. again, not to get too political about things, <laughs> but that's a... Uh, it, it, well, and you know, things repeat themselves. And that that is one thing in the Jewish communities that you find over and over again it, is this commitment to taking care of each other through these hard times, this is how they've managed to survive as a nation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a long period of time without even any land. Right. And so uh, 
I think it's something that we should learn from that we need to be taking care of each other within families and in our communities. And maybe if we just all helped each other out a little bit, you know, the stone soup principle, uh, we could actually be in a better position than what we are. And I think that as Christians, we're called to that. You know, we're supposed to love our neighbor and we're supposed to follow the example of the Good Samaritan. And these were all, these weren't new to Jesus. These weren't something that Jesus just walked in one day and said, hey, I got this totally radical idea that I want you to be nice to people. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this was actually the major critique that the prophets had had against the people of Israel Year after year and year after year, yeah. It's like, okay, you're you're practicing religion well, and as far as you're bringing the right sacrifices and you're taking them to the temple and you're doing these sorts of things, okay, this is what you're supposed to be doing, but there's no love and compassion. Right. And you aren't taking care of the poor and the needy. And and if anybody wants to get into uh, social justice in the prophecy, that's where Walter Brueggemann's work really comes in. Yeah. And uh, he does some really excellent work on that. But Joseph is really, this is a dark time for Joseph. He he should not have been okay doing this for so many reasons. Right. And not only was it the fact that he he failed to um, show that compassion, but if he was an Egyptian, then where's his compassion for the Egyptians? Right. He's not treating them like brothers. And, but he still hasn't regained that, that identity of being a, an Israelite sure. yet. He, yet. And he is going to get there. Thank God. But it's going to take a little bit for him to get there. Right. So, um, but I, you know, this, for me, this is an interesting story. I, I think that, um, I don't think there's really a way to justify any of it. I, I think overall, it's a story that Joseph really does do the wrong thing here, mm-hmm. uh, particularly given the fact that we do have th- this formulaic uh, sell- buying and selling of people. And for a long time, some of the justifications that were made saying that this was okay were based on the teachings of Rabban, and the Rabban tried to make that distinction between the people and the land. But now we have archaeology saying, uh-uh, it, it just, it, it doesn't fly. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we've also got to remember. We've got some really great archaeological understandings that the medieval scholars didn't have. Sure. And yeah. And that, yeah, just the, the finding writings that have been lost, finding... The Rosetta Stone. Artifacts. Oh, yeah. Just stuff that, yeah. The, the access is just so much greater than it used to be. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we've got a larger pool of people working on this now than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a lot of things that, that we can learn that just weren't there before. Um, so Joseph, you know, he and Exodus, and I, I really do think that this comes into play whenever we get to Exodus. Yeah. Um, you kind of want those reap what you sow. Uh, I know we're talking about grain here. Sorry about the pun. But uh, it's, but you know, if Joseph, bottom line, if Joseph had not enacted this, then there wouldn't have been a system in play for Pharaoh to be able to oppress the people the way he did. Right, right. And yeah, so he's, he's basically setting up the framework for his own demise and, and his children. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Because before this, the people, the people still own the land. And um, the people were still themselves. 
and this assumption that a citizen belonged to to the king mm-hmm. this was this was new this was at least at this level it was new right not just because i mean before this i think most of the time we're talking about swearing loyalty to a king and we're talking about a king who's won our respect right so um so basically after this jacob um he he's getting ready to die um he lived to be 147 years, so we know that he lived 17 years in Egypt itself. Right. And he summoned Joseph to him, and he uh, does that wonderful thing that they used to do to promise and pledge things, so do this favor. Uh, put your hand under my thigh as a pledge of your steadfast loyalty, which we discussed that with Yeah, we already covered that. Abraham and Eleazar. Uh, so that's a good episode to return to. And he says, when I lie down with my fathers, take me up from Egypt, bury me in my burial place. In other words, I don't belong here. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't bury me here. This isn't where I am supposed to spend the rest of my eternity. Yeah. I'm supposed to be with my family. And, and Joseph, Joseph promised him that this is what he was going to do. And, and Israel bowed at, bowed at the head of the bed. Um, now, we're going to go back. The text is going to pick up Jacob's uh, or Israel's story. We're not going to just leave it there where he he dies uh, at this point because he actually still has some things to do. So, uh, and that's the end of chapter 47. Do we want to continue on into 48 or I don't know where we're at at time? Uh, I'd say we're running a little short. So do we want to get the the start of 48? We can start. Yeah. So, um, you see, when... Sometime after um, Jacob's made Joseph swear, Joseph gets the news, hey, your father is ill. And this is the first mention of illness we have in the Bible. Uh, Never before. I mean, we've had dim eyes. Eyes have seemed to be the the major uh, physical ailment Mm -hmm. up to this point. But nothing nothing else. And so it's kind of interesting that he, he is ill. We, we don't know what it means, you know, whether it's just he's old and getting frail. The, the name is, both names are used as far as Israel and Jacob during these passages. Right. Um, and it's interesting in the way that it is, it is used. Um, verse 2 Notice it says, when Jacob was told your son Joseph has come to see you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. So Jacob is ill, but Israel can still rise. Hmm. It's the same person physically, but but identity-wise, there's a message there that even if the individual is ill, the nation can still rise. Interesting. And it's it's just a little little clue just a little insight it, it's nothing that you want to build an entire theology around but it does make you stop and think just yeah just one of those little little nuggets yeah yeah um and he says now you two sons were born to me now now your two sons sorry this he's talking to joseph he says your two sons were born to you in the land of egypt before i came to you in egypt shall be mine ephraim and manasseh shall be mine no less than Reuben, Reuben and Simon. Now, Reuben and Simon are Jacob's two oldest sons. Right. And basically what Jacob is saying here, your two kids, they're going to take the place of my two kids. 
and they're going to take the place of my oldest kids. Mm -hmm. And this is the beginning of Jacob really assimilating Joseph back into the family Mm -hmm. because Joseph himself is Egyptian. He's become so immersed in that culture that Jacob's saying, these kids who I've been here and been with this last 17 years that I've been able to influence and, and be a part of their lives, they're, they're going to take his place. Because when we talk about, and we've talked about this before, but whenever you talk about the tribes, there's no tribe of Joseph. Right. You talk about Manasseh and Ephraim. So, um, the, uh, Joseph, sorry. Hit the, hit the microphone stand there. Jacob paraphrases the, the divine promises uh, about the, the becoming a blessing and becoming a fertile nation. And he's basically telling Joseph, this is why I can do this. God has made these promises about making me a nation. And now I'm going to make sure that this promise flows through you and onto the sons and that it's going to be fulfilled. And um, Joseph can't bless his sons because he was not the one who received the blessing directly. Right. Only Jacob had talked with God. Abraham had talked to God. Isaac had talked to God. Jacob's talked to God. Joseph has not talked to God. He's only gotten dreams. Mm-hmm. So he can't give the blessing to his sons because he hasn't been there. Jacob, Jacob has been there. Right. And, now, I do have another question, though. Is, mm-hmm. it, is it possible? I mean, like you said, that he's kind of using the, the kids to redeem Joseph. Mm-hmm. But is it also possible that, you know, the, the pronouncement that these are going to be my sons as much as my own flesh and blood, you know, regardless of the fact that they're from a foreign mother. Right. As they're, uh, is, I was kind of wondering, is there any kind of the aspect of that that, like, you know, I'm going to give a blessing to Joseph's sons, but you're not going to, but kind of a message to the other sons, like, they're not going to be treated like outsiders. Well, I don't know, because, you know, all the rest of the kids married outside the family. There, there's they all marry Canaanite and Hittite and I, okay. they, Joseph. Yeah, he marries an Egyptian, and this is a huge problem uh, for the the rabbinic commentators mm-hmm. because how dare he? But then nothing said about the fact. I mean, Judah bar- marries Watshua, uh, the daughter of a Canaanite, uh, okay. and there's no problem with with that. I I think it's more, um, you know, the brothers looking at him and going, he is an Egyptian. He's not one of us anymore. He, there's a problem here. And how is he going to share in our destiny if he's someone who is so different than us? Right. And, and Joseph himself was so different. Um, he also, you know, after Jacob says he's going to take the two sons, he says, you know, anybody you have after this, this is yours. But here's the deal. They're going to be included in the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be in the tribe of Joseph. They're they're going to be in the tribe of your sons. So sure. basically, he's telling Joseph, "You're going to be your kid's grandfather," because it, it's like he has lifted legally. He's lifted Ephraim and Manasseh from beneath, you know, Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and he's put Ephraim and Manasseh on the same plane as Joseph himself. Sure. So. Any sons that Ephraim and Manasseh have, uh, I'm sorry, that Joseph has, would be accounted as sons to Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, that, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. So basically, now. yeah, their brothers would be, yeah, okay. 
if I try to explain further, I'm going to muddy the waters. So, uh, but then he says why he does it. He says, I do this because when I was returning from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow while I was journeying in the land of Canaan, when still some distance from the land of Ephrath, which I buried her there on the road to Ephrath, now, to, now Bethlehem. Ephraim and Ephrath, Ephrath the, the city, mm-hmm. it's the same name. Okay. It, it's, it's the same word. It, it means to be fruitful. Okay. And so um, he's saying that Rachel was still supposed to be fruitful, you know, but she died too soon, you know, mm-hmm. basically. That, and this is how God's going to keep his promise to me that we were going to be fruitful in the land is that through Joseph, now Jacob has these other two sons. Gotcha. Okay. So then uh, Israel asked this question, who are these? Uh, when he looks, at, he looks at Joseph's kids and says, who are these? This is the same question Esau asks when Jacob returns with the families. He says, who are these? When he looks at Jacob's wives and the kids. And so we're right back into that Jacob and Esau and that idea that it's not enough just to get along. You have to be able to walk in unity. And so we're pulling back on on that story. And it subverts it because now they are they are including Joseph and walking in unity because Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to be the tribes. They're going to be those two half tribes and Joseph's going to be erased. So um, the boys are going to, like I said, because they've grown up with Jacob being part of their lives. Now they're. They're able to be Hebrew boys. They aren't mm. they aren't Egyptians. So. When, as Jacob gets ready to, to bless them, the Bible makes specific mention in verse 10, we're in chapter 48, it says, now Israel's eyes were dim with age and he could not see. Mm-hmm. Israel being Jacob. And so we're right back there at the beginning story. Right there with, uh, with Isaac. Isaac. Yep. Yeah. And we're reminded of where Jacob began. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's really cool that you kind of see it coming full circle here and how the writer's beginning to tie all of the, the narratives together. Um, so as Joseph approaches, the Bible's very specific, that he approaches with um, Ephraim on his right hand and Manasseh on his left, so that as he came forward with Jacob facing him, Jacob would naturally reach out and put his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim. Mm-hmm. And Jacob crosses his hands. Right. And he, when he does this, Joseph being Joseph is like, no dad, you're, you're messing it up. We, we got, you got to get it right. This is yeah. Manasseh's the oldest one. And, um, Jacob tells him, no, this is, this is the way it, it, it's got to be. And, the difference here is Isaac had to be tricked into giving the blessing to the younger son. Right. Jacob does it willingly. Mm-hmm. And he does it with full knowledge of what he's doing. And the blessing he gives is the same. This is the first time we have siblings receiving the exact same blessing. Hmm. And so even though he crosses the hands, the, there's no distinction in, in who they are, you know, and what they're going to receive from him. And 
Now, it, it has to be this way because when you look at their names, Manasseh means forgetting. I mm-hmm. forgot, you know, I forgot the suffering in my father's house. This is antithetical to everything that Judaism is about. Right. In Judaism, every feast, every festival and holiday is it's all about... It's all about remembering. Yeah. And remembering so much that you feel like you're there, mm-hmm. that you, you can identify with the people who are there. So um, he can't be the one on the right hand, on, with Jacob's right hand, because in Judaism, you have to remember, but Ephraim represents that even though Joseph was trying to forget who he was, he was still walking in the fulfillment of the covenant. Sure. He was still being fruitful, even in the strange land. And um, he is, um, I'm trying to find my note here. Whenever Joseph objects, Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. And I love it because that, that word there, I know, I have experiential knowledge. Mm-hmm. I've been through this with my own brother. This is the way it can be. This is the way it should be. And this is how it's going to work out. And it's going to be good for everyone. Hmm. It is pretty much what he's saying. And in the, in the blessing, uh, he, he, he blesses Joseph and he says, the God in whose ways my father Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who's been the shepherd for my birth to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm or evil. Bless the lads, in them may my name be recalled, the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they be teeming multitudes upon the earth. Hmm. So, um, the angel who redeemed me from all harm. Yeah. So, I think here we see 100% uh, the angel could not be Esau. Right. Because Esau could not have redeemed him. Mm-hmm. Um. But this is also one of the first times that we see the word redeem. Mm-hmm. And it really is in Ga'al, which is um, that kinsman redeemer. It's that same word that okay. we find in Ruth. And um, the first time we saw it was back in Judah and Tamar with their story, uh, with the redemption of, of Tamar being reclaimed back into that household. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, but it not only has the idea of retrieving or to buy back, but also has the idea of avenging. Yeah. And so Jacob is seeing that things are getting ready to need to, that there's going to be some great uh, oppression and some adversarial things that are getting ready to hit his family. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to repair the boys for it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's... It's an interesting to see. It's interesting to see how Jacob has has made this whole journey. Yeah, uh, and I think so often when we get to Joseph's story, we stop talking about Joseph's story, and we really start we stop talking about Jacob's story, mm-hmm. and we forget how Jacob really is still entwined in Joseph's story, and that it's not just about Joseph. It is about that influence of the father and the father who who loves and values his son and has been you know, lost his son and is looking for the son to return and to bring him back into that, that fold. And this really is a version of the prodigal son. Yeah. Cause even though Joseph didn't leave voluntarily, he didn't try to get back either. Hmm. Yeah. And daddy had to go find him. And when 
you would have thought, you know, if they had had that great relationship, Joseph would have tried to get back home at yeah. some point in time. Hmm. So interesting. I, that's just, there's, it's amazing. Like just every level of analysis, there's something that, <laughs> that you oh, yeah. find. And I, I mean, there's so much here that, that I would love to go into more, but we would still be in Genesis 12 if I was taking sure. this apart the way I want to. <laughs> no, well, I, I get that. I get that. But uh, that seems like a good place to wrap it for this mm-hmm. episode. And uh, so, yeah, we want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, feel free to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Raven Creek SC. You can find us there. Um, for more information, companion posts, other things like that, ravencreeksc.com um, slash faith and other oddities. We'll get you to this episode's page, um, or you can go to ravencreeksc.com. You can find the support links. We'll take you to uh, PayPal or even uh, Patreon if you want to be a monthly supporter. You can get some bonus uh, material there that's exclusive only to Patreon listeners. And uh, But other than that, um, feel free to come back and join us next week. We hope you enjoy it, because we sure have, and uh, we want people to enjoy it with us. So thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.